God, we come before you and we just humbly come before you this morning asking, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, we all come in here with different things going on in our lives, um, and we just need to hear from you. And um, we want to be changed and transformed by you. Give us an open mind and an open heart to receive what it is that your word would have to say to us this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Luke 16, we'll read 19 to 31. Verse 19, this is Jesus speaking. He says, there was a rich man. If you don't have a Bible, just snuggle up next to somebody next to you. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. This is a guy living it up, right? Verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is a guy who experienced the worst kinds of situations. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He's talking about heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, send to him my send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And we'll stop there. So this is the often called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But what what I do? What what did I say? My mic went out. Is it back on? I can't hear myself. The speakers point that way, so thank you. Um, this is often called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, I'm, I'm titling it the surprise of a lifetime. I, I don't know about you. Do you guys like surprises? Anybody like surprises? Thank you, Neil. Thank you. I didn't really get good crowd, part yeah, crowd participation. I'm like dry right now. I need some water. Um, crowd participation, last service. Anybody like surprises? Raise your hand. Anybody do not like surprises? I'm probably more like you. I, I'm not really like surprises, whatever. It doesn't really get me. But surprises are an interesting experience. Um, a surprise can be a good thing. Uh, it can be a shocking thing, even a scary thing. You walk in and all of a sudden everybody screams at you because it's your birthday, screaming out surprise. It can scare the daylights out of you. 
sometimes a surprise can be a scary situation, a bad experience where something happens that you don't want to have happen, you weren't expecting, like a car accident or something like that. Some surprises are simple. Uh, some are life-changing. A, a simple surprise could be like running into an old friend at the grocery store, somebody you haven't seen in 20 years or something like that, and it's a, a welcome surprise. Um, some surprises, though, are life-changing, like going to the doctor and finding out you weren't planning this, but you're having another baby. That's always a, a big surprise. That actually happened to my parents uh, after my mom and my dad had me. Uh, my parents decided they didn't want to have kids anymore. <laughs> it's always a good message to tell your kid. Um, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't me. It was them. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> so my mom, thank you, Dean. So my mom, she had that, she had the procedure, right? So she wasn't going to have any more kids. And, uh, and then guess what? A few months later, my mom starts feeling weird. And she's like, I'm throwing that on the ground. And, uh, and she goes to the doctor, and she finds out she's pregnant after having a procedure, right? The tubectomy or whatever it's called. And um, so she's pregnant, and boom, you're having a kid. And t- to her surprise, there comes my little brother. So we like to tease him all the time that, hey, you weren't planned. Why, why are you even here? Um, anyway, we don't do that. That would be a surprise. That would change your life. Um, for some, it's the other way around. My cousin... We're around the same age, and his wife, they were married. They were trying to have kids, but they weren't, uh, they weren't getting pregnant. So they were going to the doctor and nutritionists and all these different things, and we were praying for them. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, she starts feeling weird, goes to the doctor, and boom, surprise, you're pregnant. That's a, an amazing surprise. And there are some that can change people's lives, like being proposed to, obviously, is, should be a surprise, Right? I don't really understand proposals today where, like, it's planned and the, the girl knows it's coming. I personally just make, call me old-fashioned or something like that. That's just not my style. Um, Michelle, when I proposed to her, she was, like, so nervous because she was in front of all these. Am I making you nervous now, babe? Um, she was so nervous because she was in front of all these people and everything. I was a little nervous myself, but, um, you know proposals ought to be, should be a surprise. And it's a good surprise. It's something that you want to have happen. Um, a surprise, though, could, uh, could be good in the sense that you get the job you always wanted. Maybe you put an offer in on a house and they accepted your offer and that's always a great surprise. Life is full of these kinds of surprises, life-changing surprises. There are some that are not so good, like walking into work one day and finding out that there's been budget cuts and so your job has been, uh, been put off, and you don't have a job anymore. Or you get a surprise where you're feeling kind of weird, so you go to the doctor and find out that you have an incurable disease. Um, another pastor mentor of mine, uh, somebody who changed my life years and years ago, he, he, him and I used to go to the gym all the time, and he was this monster of a man, like 250 pounds, just he was probably in his late 40s and still benching like 300 pounds. I mean, he was just a massive man, right? And, uh, and then I, I noticed things were weird uh, when we would go to the gym. He was really slow and shaky, and, you know, he didn't notice it. But anyway, he ended up going to the doctor and finding out he had, he had Parkinson's um, disease. And so that's been developing, and we've been praying for him and walking with him through that uh, season of life, and that was a surprise. You know, this is a guy who thought, you know, he's on top of the world and he's healthy. He goes to the gym, and then come to find out he's got this.
disease, Parkinson's. And um, so we experienced these life-changing surprises, these things that we thought we were gonna, it was going to be some way, and then it changed, some good and some bad. And I share all that because that's kind of what this story is meant to do for the people who are listening to this parable the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This was a surprise, a life-changing surprise. For the guy who thought life was good, he ended up in this place. And for the guy that thought life was terrible, he ended up in an even better place. This was a surprise. It's a powerful story, one that, as we read it, gives us a window into eternity, right? We see glimpses of heaven. We see glimpses of the realities of hell, and this place of torment. Um, the story has a lot of contrasts as we read through it. Probably you noticed some of them. Themes such as wealth and poverty, health and sickness, comfort and pain, pride and humility, life and death, grace and judgment, and ultimately heaven and hell. And, and all of these themes, we see them in this story, and we see how they're all working together. But of all those themes, I think the one that stands out to most people the most is this theme on hell, and Jesus is teaching on it. Actually, this story is probably one of the greater stories and teachings on the topic of hell that we have in all of the Bible, because it's kind of this vivid description, almost like somebody who was there, and we heard back from them what it was like. And so we're going to talk about the topic of hell a little bit later on, but I do think that some people overemphasize it in this text a little bit, making it the main point of why Jesus told this story, and it's not. It's not the main point of the parable. The point of this parable is to challenge cultural assumptions or people's assumptions on what true godliness is or what true spirituality is or what true religion is. To be more specific, Jesus is challenging people what they think being blessed is and what being cursed is. And I think even us, we have assumptions on that. When life is great, then we're blessed, right? When life seems hard, then we feel like like life isn't blessed. And Jesus wants to challenge things like that in this parable. This parable would not have been easily understood in this culture that Jesus was speaking into. It would have been a surprising idea to the original hearers, mostly because their assumptions on what true spirituality was were way off. It was totally wrong. You see, in this culture, they thought that if you were rich, you were blessed by God in every way. If you were poor, then God must be judging you. He must be enacting some punishment on you, whether it was a punishment from your parents and now it's bled down into you, or whether it was something you yourself did. If you were poor or you were low in society, then God was judging you. This was the, uh, the way that they thought about that. I guess you could say in a modern day, we would call that the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But that's totally wrong. And this mentality, as you see in the story, spilled over into the way they treated people treated one another. The rich despised the poor because they thought, well, God is punishing them, so I'm going to punish them as well. I'm going to put them down. I'm going to treat them a certain way. And the poor, what did they do? They coveted what the rich had because they wanted that blessing from God because they were led to think from in their culture and just the way they were brought up that rich equaled righteous and poor equaled punished. 
And I know that might sound weird to us, and maybe not. Maybe some of you understand that a little bit, but actually that's the way many parts of the world think today. How you live your life is a direct relation to how you are in your relation to God. So if you're poor, God must be punishing you. If you're rich, God must be blessing you. And that's the way they thought back then. But let me help you understand what I mean a little bit more. There's a later story in Luke 18, which most of you probably know it. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And in that story, what happens? There's this rich, young, influential guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he sort of responds and says, well, just keep the law and do all this stuff. And he's like, oh, I've done that my whole life. And then, and then Jesus is like, okay, he knows his heart. He knows he's trusting in the riches and these blessings. And he says, I want you to sell it all and give it to the poor. Now, in his mind, what he's saying is, I want you to remove that blessing and give it to this guy who's being punished by God. That's what he's thinking. And so what does he do? He, he goes away sorrowful. And then this is what Jesus says after that happens, and this is kind of what I'm getting at. He says, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? In their mind, again, they're thinking rich people are the blessed people. They're the ones that are blessed in this life and will be blessed in the next. So if Jesus is saying even those people aren't blessed, then they're thinking, well, then who are going to get into heaven? Who's going to get there? And then he says, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Now, don't misunderstand this. What Jesus is not saying is that if you're rich, you can't go to heaven. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you think simply because you are rich or because you have position or because you come from a good family or whatever it is, if you think that just because of those things that you have an automatic pass to get into heaven, then he's saying it's actually you have more chances of seeing a camel pass through the eye of a needle than for that to happen. It's not based on any of that stuff that somebody gets into heaven. In the spiritual economy of God, rich does not equal righteous, and poor does not equal punished. And that's what Jesus is trying to say in this story. Jesus tells this shocking, surprising story to wake people up and reverses these cultural misgivings about what true spirituality was and what faith and salvation actually is. And and Jesus, he taught this way multiple times always shifting the way people thought about the world and their life and salvation. Matthew 5 says what? The Beatitudes, the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now think about that. What are they hearing? Blessed are the poor? That doesn't make any sense. I thought poor people were punished, were cursed by God. But Jesus flips it and says, actually, blessed are the poor, not just monetarily, poor in spirit. People who recognize their need for God. And their need for his help and for salvation, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, man, that's just crazy. That doesn't make any sense. That's how they would have heard this story. So coming back to our parable, this story is meant to show that true spirituality, true faith, and whether or not someone gets into heaven or where they go is not based upon their position in this life. Whether they go to heaven or whether they go to hell, really, it's about whether they believe and trust 
in Jesus and whether they put their faith in him. That's what Jesus is getting at. I think the amazing, encouraging thing about this story is for those who were the poor, think about that. You're somebody who is poor. You're somebody who's broken. You relate to this Lazarus guy and this character. You're hearing these words from Jesus. Think about that. If you're poor and broken and hurting and forgotten in society and oppressed and people are prejudiced against you, Jesus is essentially saying, hey, you might have thought that God had forgotten you, that he was punishing you, but actually, God is for you. The gospel is good news for you of God's love and grace and forgiveness and healing. It's for you, for the broken, for the hurting, for the lost, for the people that everybody else in society rejects. That's great news. God has not forgotten you. He is not what society wants you to think he is like. He's not punishing you. He loves you. And again, unlike the rest of society, is ready to welcome you, to accept you into his presence, to bring you into his heaven. I mean, think of what this would have felt like for somebody who was poor, who was in this place feeling that way. Think of the people today even who know their life is messed up, is broken, marriage is falling apart, or they're addicted to drugs or whatever it is, and they've messed up their lives, and God is like, I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to heal you and invite you in. That, that's what this parable is teaching, and I think that's amazing. However, on the other side of that, for those who were rich and powerful and comfortable in this life, Jesus is saying, Hey, don't just live on that. Don't just rest in that because it's not just about this life. If you lack true faith in Jesus and you're just trusting or resting in the momentary comforts of this life, man, then you're going to miss out on eternal blessings. Your reward, you're just settling for your reward right now when I'm promising you eternal blessing. And and this would have been, again, a tragic surprise For those who were rich among them, thinking, oh man, God's blessed me now, he's going to bless me in the future as well. And, And let me just add to that. People not only thought this way 2,000 years ago, there's people today that still think this way. They think that because their life is good right now, that it's just going to continue on that way, that they're going to get these automatic passes into heaven, and that's just simply not the case. If that were the case, then why did Jesus need to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world, which the world includes you and me, <laughs> every person, whether you're a king or whether you're the president or whether you're a homeless person or whether you're addicted to drugs or whatever it is, we all need Jesus. On the flip side of that, I think there's some people who recognize just how broken their lives really is or really... How, how broken their situation is. They're so ashamed. They have so much guilt that they think, how could God possibly love and accept somebody like me? And this parable is essentially to uh, confront that wrong thinking as well, that God loves you and wants to invite you into a relationship with him. Jesus said in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for the hurting, for the broken. So I don't know who you relate to more in the story, and I think it's easy for us to do that. Read a story and try and relate to one of the characters. Um, Whether life is good, life is comfortable, life is blessed, right? I guess the statement would be don't, don't mistake that for ultimate blessing. 
Also, don't say it's not. You know, God blesses us in many ways. But that's not what's going to get you into heaven. Only faith in Jesus is what gets you into heaven. We're more needy than we want to realize. We're more broken and sinful than we want to admit. But yet Jesus loves us more than we can possibly imagine. However, if you're that person, um, and I think this is probably the person I related to more when I came to Christ and probably still relate to more, is just recognizing how broken you are, how needy you are. Your life is messed up, and it just seems like the world is constantly working against you. Please know this morning that God is not against you. He is for you. He is wanting to bring relief into your life. And even if you don't experience that felt relief now, Lazarus didn't. He went through his whole life and then ultimately passed away in that misery. But there is a glory and a joy that is to come that doesn't even compare to the affliction, to the hardship that we experience in this world. And that's what Jesus wants us to see in this parable. And really, we could just end right there and just walk away and go home and have lunch. Um, but there's some things, right? Some deeper things that Jesus brings up in this parable. Things about hell, things about heaven. And I think there's some things that we need to break, break down a little bit here in this, in this story. And let me just say first, there's some debate on this parable, um, whether it was actually a parable or not. Because a parable is a made-up story that Jesus told to kind of make a point. But there are some who think this actually was a real story. A story that Jesus was telling about a, an actual rich person and this man named Lazarus. And people think that because, I mean, look at it. It's so realized. We know these kinds of people. And so people, Jesus, or people are thinking that Jesus is telling a real story. And also the fact that this is the only parable that Jesus teaches where he uses a specific name. The name of Lazarus. And I think just all the different commentaries I read, I think it's just kind of both. I think it for sure is a parable, but at the same time, in general, this is a real story. There are so many people who fall into these categories that this happens on a regular basis. There's some people who think because of their life and who they are that they're going to heaven, and then when they get there, they, they don't. It's kind of like the passage we looked at last week where they stand before him and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these things? And then he said, I, I never knew you. There are some who think they're going, but they're not. And then there's some who think I'm not because they're so broken. How could God let me? But then they're there and they end up in heaven. So I think for sure it's a parable, but it also could be a real story. Secondly, um, this parable contrasts two people, a rich person and a poor person, somebody who is broken, somebody who is comfortable. But they actually have something in common, don't they? Both men die and both men end up in eternity, right? People often say that death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the world or the most poor and impoverished person in the world. We all end up in that same place, right? We all equally stand on that plane, as one pastor once said it, the statistics on death are pretty sure. One out of every one person's die. It's just a reality. And I know if you're a visitor, this is not <laughs> that warm, welcoming, inspiring message you thought you'd come in and hear. But this is the truth. And the truth helps us. It sets us free. So the question is not if we die. We should readily accept that. It's not if we die. The question is where will we go and how do we know? Where do we go and how do we know? 
And in the story, the surprise of a lifetime happens. The poor man experiences riches of heaven, and the rich man experiences the pain and agony of hell. And this is what a tool that Jesus used. It's called irony. And the irony, actually, in the story is that the rich man was the rich poor man. And the poor man was the poor rich man in the end. And Jesus, though, he spends a great deal of time describing this conversation from hell. I I find that as a parent, and I know that you as parents relate to this, I know you do, where you have your kids and you're constantly telling them no. (laughs) Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? Um, And occasionally we throw in a, hey, I want you to do this instead. We're constantly warning our kids against, don't put your finger in the outlet, right? Don't uh, throw your sister down the stairs, you know? Like, we're just always saying things, don't do this, don't. We're warning them because we love them. We want to see their life blessed. We don't want them to get hurt. And it's a warning. It's actually a really good thing. That's what Jesus is doing in this story. He's talking about hell as a real warning. He's saying, I love you. I want your life to be blessed. I don't want you to go to this place, so listen to me. And he talks about it. He warns them of the realities of hell so that they can turn to Christ. The concept of hell actually has been debated a lot in the recent decades. People want to dismiss it. Um, I was raised a a Jehovah's Witness until I was um, 11 or almost 12, and in the Jehovah's Witness cult religion, um, they teach that there is no existence of hell. Hell does not exist. The moment somebody dies, if they don't go into paradise, then they're just simply gone. They cease to exist at that point. Their soul is not eternal. And there are a lot of people who believe that same thing. Actually, a book that um, my professor, Dr. Morgan, wrote um, was a book on that same topic, debating some of these people who have these different views on hell. And I think there's some things that we learn even here. I think even the Pope uh, was quoted recently, um, and I don't know if it was totally accurate or not, but the Pope was saying that basically when somebody passes away that their soul just simply goes away. It's called annihilationism, which historically the church has uh, considered a a heresy. Um, So what are some things that Jesus teaches us in this story about the realities of hell? And I think there's some things that we need to know. First, hell is a real place. Hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And hell is as real as heaven. There is an eternity beyond this life. The the life that we will live in the future is as real, if not more real, than the life that we're living right now. Hell is a real place. More than that, it's a conscious reality. It's not some abstract dream world or something like that. It is a real place where we understand And people who end up there are aware of that. Look at what happens there. The rich man, he opens his eyes, and he's acutely aware of what is going on, where he is and where Abraham and Lazarus are. He understands, he knows, he's aware, he's conscious of what is going on. Again, hell is not some place that is just sort of abstract and ideological. It is a conscious existence. Second, hell is eternal. It is not something that happens for a little bit and then it's, And then it's over, like annihilationism teaches, in the same way that Lazarus experiences the eternal blessing in heaven, the same idea is that the rich man was experiencing this eternal torment in this place called hell. 
And again, there's debate there, but that seems to be the picture that is told here in the story and even other places in Scripture that we don't have time to get into uh, this morning. The third thing I want to point out is that hell is, is punishment. It is punitive. Jesus uses words like what? Torment and agony and an unquenchable thirst and a burning flame to describe where this rich man was. Hell, it's, it's like going to jail. It's punitive. Laws have been broken and there is a judgment, a punishment for that. There was sinners who do not trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is a consequence for that, a punitive action. And it's this place called hell. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Fourth, hell is separation. Separation from a good, holy, righteous, just, loving God. In verse 16, what does he say? Jesus, he mentions this chasm that exists between heaven and hell, between me and you, this rich man and Lazarus, he's saying. And this is a chasm that cannot be crossed. Once death happens and we enter into eternity, that's it. It is fixed, and that's what Jesus is teaching. And let me just say one last thing about hell. Hell is avoidable. Hell is avoidable. This isn't some fixed reality. It's an avoidable thing. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. Hey, you can avoid this if... I find it interesting that the rich man, in his life, cared about nobody else but himself. It was all about him parading in his fine linen and his purple, which is essentially a a color of royalty. Um, He's going around and he's living sumptuously, joyfully in life. It's all about him. It's all about his pleasure. And then he gets to this place and he realizes, oh my gosh, my brothers, if they don't change their life, if they don't know, if they don't realize, they're going to end up in the same place as me. Now all of a sudden this guy who was so self-absorbed is now thinking about others and he's trying to be a missionary from hell. But it's over. It can't happen. I wonder what he would say to his brothers. I bet he would have said something like, hey guys, we had it all backwards. Remember how we thought life was awesome and blessed and this you know, ride would have just continued on? That's not the way it works, actually. It turns out that's not true. Heaven is a real place, and hell is a real place. And heaven seems amazing, and hell is not. It is not fun. It's not like what some people say or like to say, hey, I'm just going to be partying with my friends in hell. It's not going to be a party. It's not. That's the image that Jesus is saying here. He would say, turn from your sin and self-centered ways and put your faith in Jesus. I bet you that this rich man would have traded a thousand lives to live in the shoes of Lazarus if it meant that he could spend eternity in heaven. But notice that message doesn't get to his brothers. He's saying, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, man, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, if they don't believe God's word, If they're not going to trust what God has said, why would they believe somebody who comes back to life? And isn't that true? In the rest of the story, right? Jesus, that's what happened to him. He died, was buried, came back to life, came back with a message. And some believed, but many didn't. They rejected it, just like they were rejecting the scriptures. And that's Jesus' final challenge. In the story, don't just wait for some miracle from eternity to blow your mind and then believe. 
Trust in the scriptures. Trust in what God's word has said. And put your faith in him. This, again, this parable is truly a surprising story. Surprising in the sense that there are some who think they're getting to heaven based on who they are and what they have and what they possess. They're good people. Their parents are believers. They pay their taxes on time, which just happened. Um, they recycle. Or they're vegan now. They turned vegan a couple years ago. So they're, they're good in that way. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm getting to heaven, right? doesn't work that way. There's many people who think they're getting there because of who they are, but that's not the way it works. And as we learn from this story, getting to heaven is not about what you have. It's not about, it's not about your possessions. It's, it's about who you know and not who you know here. It's not about your mom or your dad or whatever. It's about who you know. It, do you know Jesus? And more importantly, does he know you? Does he know you? Have you put your faith and love and trust in him, and do you have a relationship with him? I think, furthermore, this story is surprising because there are some who are just so broken and lost and in society, unaccepted and repulsed, and yet those are the people that God longs to pursue after. He loves and he's going after them. The 99, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. If life is a grind for you, if you feel like the world is coming down on you and just, you know, health issues or, you know, family problems, marriage struggles, kids going crazy, whatever it is, you feel like life is just broken. Guess what? God is not against you. He is for you. He is for you. And the momentary affliction and suffering that we have in this life doesn't even compare to the glory that awaits us. I think one last little reminder is something that we as believers should have from this story is we don't want people to go to this place. We don't. And so we, like Jesus, need to carry the realities, the truth of the gospel, that there is a heaven and God has made a way for us to get there through his son Jesus, faith in him. But there is another reality and it's the reality of hell. If we choose to reject him, God doesn't send people to hell. We, we choose to walk that way when we reject him our whole lives. And he just simply acknowledges that. And we walk, walk down that road. We are like the warning signs on the freeway saying, do not go this way. There is a wall and you will hit that wall. Stop, turn and go another direction. And we can tell them about how they can avoid this place and instead experience the blessing, the real blessing of God and have the surprise of a lifetime. Amen.